uh, and stuff. You had to invest in some good equipment to do this. Huh? A little bit, but yeah. you know, here, I got you right here with oh, okay. headphones. Okay. These things are real sensitive too, huh? Yeah, yeah. So you just, you ain't got to do nothing special. You just talk. Okay. Hope they won't pick up my southern drawl too much. My southern drawl. No, that's what we want. <laughs> Everything to be. Thank you, sir. Exactly how you want it. How you guys doing? Welcome back to Natural Thoughts and Talks. I'm your host, Venture, and we got a really good guest for you guys today. We got somebody who I would deem as probably the greatest host my family has ever known. That That is a title that I can only strive to achieve one day as I develop into the man that I'm looking to be. Go ahead and introduce yourself, Larry. My name is Larry Reeves, and I grew up in a place called Little Rock, Arkansas. Yeah. So, um, old Southern boy, if you if you want to put it that way. But uh, uh, and as far as the greatest host, my wife formed me into that because she's the greatest hostess. So I didn't I didn't have any choice. But we 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 love people, and uh, we love to entertain folks, and just uh, just the genuineness of it. We grew up welcoming folks into our lives, and it's continued. Yep. And. Like I said, I remember, you know, 30, 40 plus people jam packed every Thanksgiving, every Easter, every 4th of July, every holiday, it would be people just yeah. gathered every Easter yep. uh, egg hunt, right? Out there in that backyard <laughs> trying to find those eggs. Somebody, where did he put them? Man, you know? yeah, I'm surprised you guys remember all of that stuff, man. Yeah. It's, um, it was a joy. A joy to watch you guys grow up. And now I look at you and I'm going, holy cow, man. I mean, you, the young man that you've become, I'm really proud of you. Um, you talk about the gatherings that we've had. Uh, I can remember one Thanksgiving, I stopped counting at 98. <laughs> at 98 people. But it was people in the house and, you know, outside in the backyard, in the front yard, over at the park playing. Mm -hmm. You know, you guys used to go to the park on Thanksgiving and, and play basketball and yep. all of that stuff. So it was... Uh, that that one Thanksgiving, I told my wife, okay, that's enough. Yeah, you know when we stopped counting in '98, that's that's enough. You, you start know? to hit triple digits. Yeah, that that, that, that's, that yeah. food bill gets too much. <laughs> yes, huh? sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> so yeah, I just wanted to really bring you on because mainly they're not making humans like you anymore. Your 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 generation is something that is you know the world's changed you know, for the better you know for the worse. That's debatable what's mm -hmm. going on, but as far as the amount of obstacles that you and your community have had to overcome over your, how, how old are you now? 71. 70 plus years yeah. on this earth is the, the, the amount of technology that you've seen explode, the amount of just uh, information that you've gotten to be a part of. It's a wave that uh, I, I don't know if there will see a bigger wave like that. Think about it. As a kid, I want to hear about just communication, just just something like going to school, something as simple as uh, talking to your girlfriend, right? Yeah. Hannah is yeah. the co-host of this show, and she is on literally the other side of the globe, and I right. can get access to her as long as she's awake in a couple seconds. Right. I'd have Hannah right. on the phone. That's a, what, a, a three-month mail letter? Like, oh, how yeah. do you even think about this? Because you spent time overseas, too, yeah. like my grandpa, yeah. right? Yeah, and yeah. Yeah. Uh, tell me it, something like that. It was, uh, you know, you could still do a phone call, but everything was, 
you know, you had to go through an operator and all of that kind of stuff. You know, it's not like we do now with cell phones. And you had to pay for it too, and you, right? Oh yeah, big time. That conversation time, had brother. to have been you, real. Big time. You got to pay for it. You know, it was. Uh, you saw that on your phone bill when you uh, uh, when you uh, got your bill each month, and so it was not like it is with cell phones now. You know, and stuff. Uh, but I, I tell you, yeah, a letter. You probably were talking the better part of a week. For a letter to get home, if I wrote a letter this week, it probably got home maybe five, six days. I can't remember now. You know, it, mm -hmm. it took a while. It yeah. took a while. And so it was not the instantaneous uh, communication that we have now, you know, and stuff. And so you guys, like like now, even with, uh, even with like television and radio and stuff like that, it was uh, uh, totally different. I mean, now you, we live in an age where you can, you can, your television is a computer and all of that stuff. Uh, I grew up in an age that, you know, I still, when I grew up, we still had black and white TV. And, and uh, for us poor, poor folks, as we say, or, or poor people now, as they say, but uh, they used to make this uh, plastic, it was a plastic screen that you could put on your black and white TV. Okay. And it had a, a blue, yellow, and red strip like a rainbow. I think it was blue, yellow, and red, a, a or green, yellow, and red, or whatever. And for folks who couldn't afford color TV, you put that plastic strip over your TV, and it would just give you something. It was just it something. Would give you something you thought like <laughs> that. We got a we got color. That was that was the that was the thing for the color TV, man. And oh, it was man. Uh, It was like, and you know, folks walking in like, oh, cool, you all got one of those strips. That's great. They sit out like it's this big thing, you know. Still a black and white TV. You just had part of your screen was red, the other was green, the other was, oh, you know, and it was like, uh, but we call that the poor man's color TV, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, uh, it was really, it was really interesting uh, in those days. I grew up in the I Love Lucy days, and you mm -hmm. know, and and, and uh, all the other, all the old shows, the Carol Burnett, Jack Benny, all of that stuff, you know. And it was, it was fun to watch uh, cartoons. Now cartoons was uh, the cartoons we watched. These Folks today, they don't they don't know anything about those old cartoons. But I mean, you know, stuff like, you know, Tom and Jerry, and and you still see Tom and Jerry every every now and then. But Rocky and Bullwinkle, and and uh, all the, all of these old like smoke, the like the Looney band. Tunes, or Looney Tunes, like all the original of that, stuff. that was Looney original. Tunes, yeah, huh? yeah. You know, I couldn't get ready for when I started watching my grandkids like like the uh, like the Pokemon type characters. Oh yeah, those kind of cartoons. I'm like. That's not cartoons, you know. It's like you know, CGI. It's, yeah, 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 yeah. You you would see the background move, but the but the characters were just you know like <laughs> in one spot. I'm like, ah. but things have uh, things have changed uh, so much during that time. But uh, we like when we grew up, mm -hmm. we grew up in what I called a, uh, a a a a deluxe shotgun house. People have probably not heard that term, but when we we grew up in a four room uh, home. You know, and before mom got remarried, and we call it a shotgun house. And the reason they call it a shotgun house is because all of the doors were right in a line. Okay, so you could shoot a shotgun through the front door and it'd go out the back door. Oh, really? <laughs> so that's what they used to call a shotgun house. So, yeah. like, like a trailer? Like, no, a... no, no. They were they were wood frame homes, okay. but they were just, just built straight. They back. were just built straight back, okay. and, and it, they weren't very big. We lived on a a half a lot. You know, our houses because I used to wonder. Uh, they had all of these little these little homes like that in a row on, in one block, and used to wonder. And we, as kids, that seemed like it was so big until you got to a real. We moved later on and got to a really uh, full lot house. Mm. It was like whoa, 
but I, I laugh and tell people we had the deluxe model of the shotgun house because our doors were offset. So you couldn't shoot through the front and it'd come out the back because <laughs> this door was here and the other door was to the right and, and that kind of thing. So I said we lived in the deluxe model. So you had stuff moving around a little bit, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did. But uh, it was a four-room home. You had the living room. Then next was my mom's bedroom. Then next was the bedroom that we were in. And then it was the kitchen. That was it. How many yeah. siblings did you have? Uh, I had four. Four okay. siblings. Um, my sister Mavis was the baby. Uh, she's... Uh, she'll kill me if I tell her age now, but she's in her 60s now. Let me just mm -hmm. say that. She was a baby. And then my older brother, who is uh, 73, I'm 71. And then we had two older sisters who were much older than we were because we had different dads. My oldest sister uh, was Billy. She would have been in her, she would have been 86 this year. And the sister under her, Shirley, would have been 83. Mm. And so then my brother is 73. So there was a 10-year difference between mom got divorced and remarried when, when we were we came along, and and uh, and so then there was the three of us. Okay, you know, uh, but life was a lot simpler then. How so? Well, you guys, to for instance, with us, we would go out. You know, now in you guys' generation, you you probably don't go outdoors nearly as much. They used to put us outdoors. When you woke up, it's like go out and play. Uh huh. You know, and we'd go outside, and and uh, we'd be outside literally all day. They call you in for lunch, and you know, come back and eat lunch, and you go back out and gamble. We, my, my brother and I, were talking about that the other day, and we would do things like, we used to make, uh, we used to make uh, scooters. Now you guys buy scooters and stuff like How'd that. How'd you make a scooter? You, you, I tell you what, you take an old pair of roller skates. This was a sit-down scooter. Scooter, okay. okay. If you had some old broken roller skates, you know, you would take them in and uh, these were old metal roller skates and you would take it like a two by six or a two by four. Mm -hmm. You take two of those, a two by six or a two by four, and you'd have a cross beam and you'd have the long beam that you could sit on. The long beam was a little wider than the cross beam. You would take those skates and you would nail the skates on the ends of the cross beam uh -huh. and you'd nail the skates on the, you know, depending on how big a person was going to sit on it, you might have to put two skates on either end of the board. And, and out on the wings, but then you'd take a, uh, and you'd have a, a single screw or a nail in the middle that would, where you could move the cross beam. You could either move it with your feet. We'd always put a rope on it with the feet of your rope. Oh, okay. And so we'd put a rope so you could guide with the cross beam. And, uh, you know, you sat on the middle part, and man, we push each other up and down the sidewalk all day long, you know? That sounds dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it really was, yeah, I mean, you, we, you know, it really wasn't, uh, well, I guess it could have been. Yeah. <laughs> but we would, we would, uh, we would, you know, do stuff like that. You know, we would, uh, you know, we would make a, uh, uh, if we were playing softball or baseball or whatever, you ran out of ball, we'd go make a ball out of tape. See, you know, you, so I think that's the thing, too. I was talking with Hannah with, uh, mm -hmm. I think I was even talking to maybe Karina about it, uh -huh. too, earlier. You guys grew up in a time where you actually had to create. Yeah. You, you you had to use your imagination and think. So yeah. thought yeah. was, there was nothing without thought. Yeah. Whereas now, you got so much, they created everything for, for you. you. They created yeah. the video game. They created, this. these are the rules to the game, right? right? right. You got this, uh, whatever the board game is or whatever, you can only abide by these 10 rules. Right. Whereas right. you created the game and you were able to go, oh yeah, no, this is the rule, this is the rule, whatever, I don't know, smack them or whatever yep. the game that you all were playing, <laughs> you know? So I want to hear more about your parents. What What can you tell me about well, them? Well, my, my parents were... Um, when we were when we were young, like I said, with with my father and uh, uh, my mother, my my dad and my mom got divorced when I was 
four okay. or five. No, I was five or whatever. And my mom was pregnant with my baby sister now. So, um, but and we were still in that deluxe model uh, shotgun house. And, uh, but my grandmother was, lived right across what we call the alley from us. And back in those days when the garbage man would come, you didn't put your cans out on the street and stuff like they do now. The garbage trucks would drive up in the, in these dirt alleys we had between homes. Mm-hmm. And uh, the alleys oftentimes didn't go all the way through. They would go about half the block and people would put their trash cans out on the dirt alley. The garbage can man would come up there and they'd empty the garbage cans and they'd bag back out. Mm. You know, and you put you pull your cans in the house or whatever, you know. Uh, and so we would... Uh, my grandmother lived right across the alley from where we lived on and, and so her back door faced our back door okay you know and and so uh she was the enforcer uh until until mom re- remarried but mom my mother worked uh my mother was a maid okay and so when she went to work in the morning she went to work in the morning at like 5:30 in the morning we were in the bed when she came home at night oh, we were okay. in the bed Okay. She worked from, you know, six o'clock in the morning until sometimes eight thirty, nine o'clock at night. Mm. Um, so my grandmother played a great role in raising us as well as my older our older sisters until they left. Our oldest sister left probably when I was probably about seven, six or somewhere around in there coming out here to California. Okay. And uh uh she came back home, uh she came back home when my baby sister was born. She and my baby sister were born twenty years apart on the same day. Oh. You know, so she came back home for a little while when my baby sister was born and came back to California. But my grandmother was the enforcer. And so she would, um, and the other thing that was important to us in that time was our church was only a half a block away, mm-hmm. you know. And so, but uh, but my grandma didn't play. You know, uh, she would, if she told you something, you did it. Because you can't do what they did now. Back then, if, if folks treated kids now like they used to do us, uh, they'd probably have everybody in jail. Uh, what you mean? They, they had the law, boy. They, they, she'd make you go. I remember my brother and I were fighting one day, fighting one day, and my grandmother said, "All right, go out to that tree, go out to that tree, and bring bring two switches back here, and don't bring a small one either. If you brought a small switch back, you knew she was gonna tear your butt up." <laughs> and so we came back with these two switches, and my grandmother had a switch probably that was about five feet long. So if you tried to run, she could run as fast as we could. She'd tear your butt up with that switch, man. <laughs> And so she said, okay, you guys want to fight? She said, right. She said, pull your shirts off. She said, now you want to fight? And my brother was down, his, his, and we were probably, I was maybe like seven, you know, six, seven, and my brother was like about eight, you mm-hmm. know, nine, something like that. And uh, she said, now y'all fight. And we're like, oh, mama. And she said, I said, fight. And she hit both of us with that switch, you know, because we knew if we didn't hit each other hard, she was going to tear us up with the, across our backs with that switch. So, man, when we got through, with each other, we had whips everywhere, oh, dude. It was oh, nothing. Man. It was nothing. It was. I mean, we took the, we, those switches were down to a nub that we had, but we'd rather hit each other than have her hit us with that big switch yeah. that she had, you know. Uh, but but growing up was growing up was fun. The church was the center of the neighborhood in those days. Mm-hmm. Stuff that we did at church then you don't see now anymore. Uh, church truly was the neighborhood uh, recreation place. A lot of times they did things. They always did things to keep keep us busy. Um, you know, like on I remember on on holidays like Easter and stuff like that. We had this one gentleman uh, who would come out every Easter and uh, the church. We had a church parsonage, which was right next door to the church okay. where the pastor lived. 
And on his front yard, they would come out on Easter Sunday. They would throw pennies, pennies and nickels out there. And, and this was Easter Sunday and, and hide Easter eggs out there. Man, we'd get them new clothes dirty out there, <laughs> out there, out there trying to pick up pennies and, and nickels and stuff. And the parents would just laugh and, and watch us, you know, uh, and stuff like that. And we used to, to do stuff like there was always something going on. Our vacation Bible schools were... It was always built around activities for, you know, for us and stuff like that. And there was always at the end of vacation Bible school. Back then, our Bible schools were two weeks. And mm-hmm. at the end, all of the churches in the city, all of the, 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 the churches that were in the, what we call the Union District Association, would have this big picnic. And all the churches would come together, man, and, and, and we would be out at one of the parks and stuff, and it would just be, be like great stuff. But we would do stuff in church like we would have uh, what they call heaven and hell parties. You, 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 you can ask somebody about that now. They're like, hey, what is that? You know, but mm-hmm. a heaven and hell party was, was something they did like usually once a year and, uh, all of the good stuff, all, you know, like down in, in hell part, we had a double, a two story education building. So downstairs was hell upstairs was heaven. Right. <laughs> and so downstairs you had like uh, hot dogs and hamburgers, spaghetti and all that kind of stuff. Well, heaven is where you had the dessert you uh. had cake and ice cream and stuff. So you, but people were spending too much time in hell. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I think eventually they, 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 they cut those out, you know, at least they stopped calling it that name and stuff. But, uh, you always, we always did stuff. The local community center and the boys club was always about two or three blocks away, you know, and, and you walk up to the community in those days, you could walk anywhere. you dare not walk anywhere now. Mm-mm. In those days, you could we would walk up there as kids. We would walk up to the community center and go play ball and that kind of stuff. But nowadays, man, I'd be scared to let my kid walk a block, let alone three or four blocks. I used to walk about a mile to school, yeah, uh, to to high school. I, in fact, I graduated from Little Rock Central High, which is, uh, which is um, you know the school that that during the height of integration was uh, the Little Rock Nine. People have heard about Little mm-hmm. Rock Nine, and one of my cousins was was one of the Little Rock Nine Thelma Mothershed is her name. And and uh, actually, my second oldest sister was supposed to be part of that group. But on the morning when, you know, Martin Luther King had come to Little Rock and they prepped these 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 folks. Yeah, I watched do the this, documentary. And, you know, yeah. and, and uh, my sister was supposed to be the 10th one. Oh, really? And, and uh, my second oldest sister in the morning, she told me that the morning that they came to pick her up to go, my grandmother wouldn't let her go. Because of her temperament, my sister was not going to let somebody spit on her oh, okay. and hit her and that kind of stuff. She'd be ready to fight. Mm-hmm. And she said, she said, my grandmother walked the floor and cried, cried and prayed and said, and the morning they came and picked her up and said, she can't go. She mm-hmm. doesn't have the temperament for that. Somebody will either kill my baby or hurt her really bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she didn't go. But uh, but speaking of that, in, in that time frame, when I was doing talking about school integration and we grew up in the hotbed of integration in that time frame and they had not not long integrated the schools well i lived two blocks from the junior high school that i went to which uh was called west side junior high and it had just been integration about two years had just integrated about two years before that uh most of the black kids in the neighborhood went to dunbar junior high school which was the all-black school Mm. and uh, dunbar was about five blocks away and my brother went to Dunbar. I had my mother wanted me to go to Westside. I didn't want to go to Westside, mm. uh, but she wanted me to go up there because it was only two blocks away and whatever. And we went. Uh, of course, I went and stuff. But we, we you had your your battles there too. I mean, uh, 
to be honest with you, the white kids didn't want us there. Mm. A lot of us didn't want to be there, but but we were but we were there. And so, like some of them had, uh, I can remember uh, right before I got there. But one of our close friends, they had they burned somebody put a match or something in her locker and burned her books there in the school mm. inside of her locker. And it was a lot of craziness like that. It was a lot of a uh, uh, lot of tension. You know, a lot of tension to be able to learn in that environment. And so you 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 had to learn how to balance that and kind of tuck that stuff away in your mind. I remember this one guy, he was probably the the the, the toughest white boy in the school, man. And I, I remember you see him do fights, he'd be like, Woo, don't want to mess with him, you know. And for some reason, I don't know why, but for some reason, just one day, because we had a couple of classes that I'd never bothered him or anything, for some reason he said, I'm going to get you. And he used the N-word, you know, and I'm like, he said, yeah, I'm going to get you, mm. you know, and I'm like thinking, what I do to this dude, you know? And, and so naturally I'm walking around on pins and needles, you know, cause I've seen this cat whip about five folks out there on the playground. I'm like, Oh Lord. Uh, but just, I think just the fact that I was a black guy, he just singled me out. It wasn't that many of us there. And I was a big guy. Folks always want to mess with big guys. Yeah. You know, uh, I was probably, that was my, my, uh, in the ninth grade in junior high, down there, junior high school down there was seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. And mm. then high school was 10th, 11th, and 12th in those days. And uh, uh, where we practiced, we, our, our football practice, I was at Westside, and we walked about four blocks to go to Little Rock Central, the high school, to, that's where the football practice field mm-hmm. was. We'd walk back from the school. By the time ball practice was over, it was probably about, be about five o'clock. By the time you go in to take a shower and all that and come out, it was about 5.45, the late afternoon, you know, and and ever since he had made that that threat, I was always looking when I come out because everybody else went a different way home. I lived real close, like I said, two blocks from the school. And and High Street was a dividing line. If you get across High Street, that's where the black neighborhood was. Mm. On the side of the, the other side of the street was where the white neighborhood started. So that was about halfway? Uh, the school was, well, the school was about two blocks up from, okay, from gotcha. the dividing line. Gotcha. Yeah, the junior, that's why I say it was real close. Mm-hmm. And I came out of school that day, and I looked around, and I was like, good. And, you know, and I, I got ready. To, I took about two steps out of the front door, and all of a sudden, there were these about eight white guys around me. And I'm like, where did they come from? You know, and I remember him saying, I told you I was going to get you. And I looked around, and I'm like, Lord, help me. You mm-hmm. know, I don't know what I'm going to do, but what I did, just in a split moment, because I knew if, they, if, if, if the first one ever hit me, I was done. You know, because I felt in my soul, so they were going to either kill me or hurt me really bad mm. that day. And I just, I, I, I found the weakest link in that circle. And I, I, to this day, I don't know who he was, but I went through him. Mm. Okay? And I never looked back. I went through him and I never looked back. And I, was, and I never dropped my books. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and I'm saying, if I could just get across High Street, mm. you know, I'll be okay. You know, and I mean, I was a big dude. I was like 190, 6'1". Yeah. You know, and uh, and all these cats were some fleet-footed dudes, but on that day, they weren't fleet-footed enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So you made so it. I made it across High Street, and they stopped on the other side. But the ironic part of that was they never bothered me again. I just knew after that day they were just going to be waiting. But the ironic part was, and I attribute that to the grace of God, they never bothered me anymore. Mm. You know, so it was... It was interesting growing up down in, in those times. I think it's pretty crazy, too, because uh, just obviously, luckily, I have resources. You know, you, my grandpa, people mm-hmm. like that to where I, I, I would think 
modern culture is thinking that it was way, way, way back ago when no, no, no. Like yeah. I, I'm looking at you right here. Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. It was it was yesterday yeah. almost. It yeah. ain't been that much time. It ain't been yeah. seven generations. No. So whenever you do bring certain conversations, so certain uh, social issues like this to you know the mainstream, you got to understand that like. No, it it, it it really is something that still affects us today. This is what's going on. It's getting better. We're doing a good job. But in order to continue to, you know, move the needle a little bit forward, you got to understand we're not we're not that far out of the mud. No, no. <laughs> and in many cases, um, it, you know, we, we, we're only just a little bit out of the mud in many cases. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what I tell people here in California. You know, when I tell them I'm from the South. You know, and they go, oh, my God, the South, how did you grow up down there? And I said, you know, how did you stand that place? And I said, let me tell you something. Uh, if, if I can just keep it real in this conversation between you and I. And I told them, I said, let me tell you something. I will take the South any day over California in that environment. Mm -hmm. And they go, what do you mean? They got real offended. And I said, I'll tell you what I mean. I said, I'm an old military guy. I said, it's easy to fight an enemy that you can see. Mm. Yeah, I said, but out here in California, folks are masters of camouflage. Okay, and so folks that you work with every day, you know, that smile with you, talk with you, leave there, go into a meeting of some sort. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? I see what you, you're saying. You know, and and so I'll just kind of leave it at that. Mm -hmm. You know, but um, uh, you know, you you knew down south where you were up against, mm -hmm. so you knew how to deal with it. Yeah. Does that make sense? You, you saw the rules. You saw yeah. the rules. You mm -hmm. knew what the rules were. Okay. If, if that's the rule, I can, I can, I can work with that. I can. If that's the rule, don't step on this side of the line. I stay on this side of the line. Mm -hmm. Not a problem. I can deal with that. What I want to know is, uh, growing up mm -hmm. as a young man, where were the uh, like? What, what was the opportunity? What was the the north star? That you were looking at as a kid was it always california was it uh maybe i gotta go here maybe i gotta stay here you see what i'm saying because yeah. somebody like hannah for example uh american dream american dream immigrant immigrant we got to mm -hmm. get there mm -hmm. we're gonna make it that's where it's at mm -hmm. what about you my my thought process was i knew enough about myself is that my my, my thought process was and my go-to ticket was get my education. Mm. With the education, it didn't matter where I went because being in the military, and, and that was another reason I went in the military, to get to see parts of the world that I'd never seen. And I knew the military, when you get out, would present you opportunities to go where the jobs were, wherever they were. Um, my thing was I was a journalism major. Um, and I... Uh, had my sights set on being a, a, a great newscaster somewhere. Okay. You know, uh, wherever that took me. And uh, I was the first, I, w I went to Arkansas State University in Jonesboro, Arkansas, and uh, I was a, what they call a stringer for the Arkansas Gazette when I was there, which meant I was a writer for the Gazette, but I was kind of like a reporter in that town. This was before the military This or was after? before the military. Okay, got this you, is while got I, you. This is while I was a student at Arkansas State. Oh, okay, State. I got you. Okay, this is while I was a student at Arkansas State. And so for the first year or so, I was doing that. Well, all of the news uh, uh, things that we would go to the news events, the guys at the local television station, we all got to be friends and stuff. And they kept saying, Larry, why are you wasting your time on the newsprint side? Why don't you come on over to the radio and TV side, you know, to the television side? I'm like, oh, man, that's... 
I've, I've not had any experience. He said, don't worry about it. We'll teach you. We'll train you. I said, oh, I thought they were joshing, you know. Uh-huh. And they kept saying, and then finally one, one day I said, oh, okay, I'll, I'll do that. So I went over to the television side. And uh, they they trained me as far as being an a, uh, anchorman, reporter, and all of that stuff. And then I took over the weekend news as a student for my junior and senior year uh, while I was at the local television station. So I was the first African-American newscaster uh, mm-hmm. and, and anchor and reporter that they had at that station. And, and one of the guys, I was talking to one of the guys back there the other day, he's like, man, they got your picture up on the wall. I'm like, really? Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, he said, yeah, they got your picture on the wall as being the first African-American reporter they've ever had. Uh, you know? So what? How? What region are you talking about? The, in the state? No, I was in the. In actually, the, actually, it covered northeast Arkansas, uh-huh. uh, southeast Missouri. Mm. Okay, and uh, no, yeah, and uh, and and uh, southwest Tennessee. Oh wow! That's so cool. it was like a that part a of a area. part of a three state cover at coverage area. Yeah. And uh, uh, my wife, uh, her sister, and family—they lived in a little town called Turrell, which was not far from Turrell, Arkansas, which was not far from uh, West Memphis and Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, they used to used to call me, Larry. I saw you on TV today. You know, whatever. And it was <laughs> like, wow. You know, I got I got to the point that it, it was like it was just well, it was go- going to work every day. I never really thought about it, but it had a pretty good coverage area. Yeah. Yeah. Who were uh, some of your idols growing up? Um, Who did you look up to? My number one idol was my was my my dad. Well, well, actually, my stepfather. Okay. Uh, but but there was we didn't use that word step in our family. So we we had our biological father was still living. Uh, my stepfather was still living, and so we called one Daddy Johnny, which was my biological father, and Daddy Posey was my stepfather. But both of them were dad. Mm. Uh, and, uh, but, but, but daddy Posey was real. He was real. Um, I learned a lot of my principles, not only from my mom and my grandmother, but about being a Christian man and how I should live from my dad. Mm. And I'm, I'm talking about my stepfather now, when I say that, you know, even though my biological father knew the Lord, you know, but, but he didn't take that time with us. He was gone. Like I said, he, he left when I was five years old and mom was pregnant with my baby sister. Mm-hmm. But from my, my, my stepfather, we would sit down and have those conversations about uh, the Lord and, and, and God's intent for my life and, and what he expected and, and those kinds of things. And so I tell people that my father was my, my number one hero. I lived during the time of Martin Luther King, which is another one I looked up to, who was one of my frat brothers and, and, uh, 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 you know, Thurgood Marshall was one of my frat brothers, a member of, I'm a member of Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity. We were the first African-American, uh, fraternity, mm. uh, it created in 1906. And so, but, uh, I looked up to those gentlemen and one of the gentlemen that I really look up to and I'm in touch with right now is a man by the name of Amber Johnson, A-M-M-E-R, just like hammer, but with an H. Uh, but Amber Johnson, and he had created uh, the thing that got us through our young years in those times was there was a choir that we had, a neighborhood choir that we participated in that uh, we sang everything from, um, you know, we did very little gospel because we focused more on classical. Uh, we focused on anthems, on hymns. We We did everything from uh, climb every mountain, you know, from the sound of music mm-hmm. to Handel's Messiah. We did Handel's Messiah by from memory, without the book, mm. uh, from cover to cover. 
but we were kids from the ages of 12 to like 17. Mm. And that was our, that was our, instead of going to the gym and playing basketball and stuff, our getaway, the thing that got us out of and through life at that time and got us through life was that choir. We traveled the country singing uh, at major events. We sang for Dr. King when he came to Arkansas. We traveled to uh, the National Baptist Convention, sang for them. We just, we, we traveled all over and sang. Uh, and it was just fun. We were like a big family. Yeah. And we were, we were a group of kids that we were good and we knew we were good. And if we lived in this day and age, I have no doubt, had we come along in, in this age of communications now, we would have been a, a, a nationally, if not world-renowned choir. We were that good, mm. you know. Uh, but we came along at a time, young, the small choir of, of about 30, 30, 40 kids back in the 60s. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, by the mid-70s, we were all going our different ways and stuff. And Mr. Johnson moved away and stuff like that, too. In fact, he's out here in California. We talked uh, the other day, but... There are about 20 of us left, 15 of us, 20 of us left. So we have a reunion. We got one coming up uh, here at the end of August. But we still try to get together. Oh, that's super you know, cool. Yeah, yeah. What was stuff. your, was the news uh, news job your first job? Or had you been working since you were Oh, no, I was, I was a hustler, dude. You know, I, I started cutting grass when I was nine years old. Oh, yeah. Man, I was a hustler. You talk about making, saving, talking about trying to make some money. Uh -huh. I, I would find a way to make money. I I, uh, you know, I cut grass and then um, worked at a Howard Johnson's restaurant, started off as a busboy and then worked my way up to waiter mm. uh, at Howard Johnson's in those days. From there, then that's when I went to the, uh, from Howard Johnson's then to the Arkansas Gazette. By that time, I was a junior in high school. My last two years went to uh, Arkansas Gazette, working for them, doing, uh, working in the sports department, writing uh, uh, sports stories and uh, did some news, some actual news uh, stories, but it was more in the sports arena, and mm -hmm. and so, um, but but that started me in my communications field. Like I said, I was in journalism in high school, and I was a pretty pretty good journalism student in high school, and so I always uh, I always found a way. I was always trying to make money, yeah. you know, uh, and uh, uh, always trying to. <laughs> in my younger years, I learned not to give my money my my mother my money to save. <laughs> I started off giving my mother my money to save, and uh, that's when I learned to give it to my dad because uh, mom had been keeping some money for me for it. And I knew I should have had about 150 bucks, right? And I said, Mom, that money I gave you to keep for me, you know, uh, what is She said, boy, you ate that up about three months ago. She said, I had to buy groceries. I'm like, ah, you killing me. Uh -huh. you yeah. <laughs> so from the end, my dad started laughing. He said, give me the money. I'll keep it, you know, and stuff. And I'm talking about probably when I was like, 12, 13 years old, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, from then on until I could open my own bank account and that kind of stuff, you know, but I was, uh, you know, like I said, cut yards, worked at Howard Johnson, then went to the, went to the uh, uh, newspaper, mm -hmm. and then from there, when I was got into college, just, uh, 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 I was, I was working all kinds of things in college, I was a resident assistant in the dorm, I had, while I was in ROTC, I had a scholarship, you know, I was still writing for the Arkansas Gazette, man, I I had more money in college than I did when before I went to college. You know, when I was working all the time. So, uh, but it was it was interesting. So, but that's uh, cool. Yeah. No, I, I like to think too. Um, you know, my jobs have been so just scattered everywhere with the the dog thing I've been doing uh -huh. throughout college, the jet ski thing I was uh -huh. doing, the all training, all sorts of stuff. 
And now that they got me in a nice, you know, air conditioned office and, you know, they got snacks and free lunches <laughs> and whatnot. It's like, man, uh, this work thing, it ain't, it ain't, it, it ain't, ain't as hard. Just, I'd be like thinking, man, what if, what if Larry saw me now, you know, talking about I had a rough day today. You know, I can't say that. That's, that's kind of the thing of like, oh, you had a rough day today, huh? Tell me about it. Tell me about it. What happened? The elevator was too slow or what was going on? I don't even got to take the stairs. <laughs> But you know what? That's the blessing of adventure. We raise our kids to do better mm, than yep. we did. You know, I've got two girls that you that you know, and and uh, both of them we poured into them because we want you to go further than we went. So that's we what went. I want to talk about. Is yeah. I'm understanding that part. Uh, you know, Charles H did certain things that mm -hmm. put you know Charles J in, mm -hmm. a, in a certain position. Charles J did certain things to now. You know, generations get better. They right, get, I'm right. bigger, I'm faster, I'm stronger. I'm the, right. you know, the newest thing. I get, oh, don't do that because he told me not to do right, that. There's right. so much wisdom already in it. Now, y'all can't start hating when I start, you know, doing the things that y'all told me to do. Everybody wants to give me a hard time. Oh, look at this guy now with the fancy apartment and this and that and uh, figuring out how to make all the money now. You know what I mean? I'll never, I, you'll never hear that from me. You, you know, like like I said, when I saw where you're living, I'm like, dang, you, man, you live at large. That's but, good. But you I know, think it's, it's awesome. It's, yeah, I it's, think it's awesome. You know, I done figured it out. I done, you know, or at least okay, you do this. You do. I went to college. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. I, I got the money saved up, made it there happen. There you go. You know, they said what, what, what? Hey, get you a job or or a career. Uh, in in you know finance in this and that yeah. build you a business right. that's how you do it I, all right I, I did what, what you told what me doing. I, I unchecked it all right this is what happened so it's just one of those things well, the, where and it's opening doors for you though I mean mm -hmm. whoever would have thought when I was watching you grow up and stuff like that we'd be sitting here you doing a podcast with followers all over the nation maybe mm -hmm. the world I don't know yeah you know but but that's what that's why we pour into you mm -hmm. you know and 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 we're proud we may give you a hard time. But we're proud of what you have done. I see. What you've accomplished, you know, and, and so that's that's just that's just kind of ribbing you, you know. But uh man, I, I tell you what, my heart is extremely glad to see what you're doing. And I know your grandpa and your grandma and, and everybody else is will say the same thing. Because we want you to do go further mm. than we went. Mm -hmm. You you know, and, and have the opportunity to be able to do what we couldn't do. No. Because you've got doors open to you now, but but at the same time, I say don't be deceived mm. because there are still some roadblocks that you need to learn how to navigate. That's it. Yep. But, but we need to try to teach you. Our goal is to teach you to navigate those so that you don't make the same missteps that we made, if that makes sense. I get it. Yep. You know? I like that you talked about, I want, I want you to pivot and explain, go back and explain how you know my grandparents. Well, we met when we first came in, in the military, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and we met when we came to Barstow. Uh, I was in the military. I, I was leaving off of a recruiting assignment in Des Moines, Iowa. Mm. I knew Barstow would be my last military assignment because I already knew I was going to be getting out. And, and when you was know? this? What, that was what in, era is uh, this? 84. 84, okay. So Early I've 80s. known you, we've known your grandparents for what, 40, 40 plus years now? Or yeah. Right, 40, 84, 94, 24. 14, but yeah, almost 40 years, mm -hmm. right, at, right at 40 years. And so, um, but that's when we met, when we went to Union Missionary Baptist Church, you know, oh. there in Barstow. And that's where we met. I remember walking in uh, and uh, just kind of looking around. And I think your, your grandpa and your grandmother were some of the, were two of the first people to 
introduce yourself, introduce themselves to him. It's funny. I met your grandpa at, at work, right? He, he may not remember this story, but I met him when I was at Fort Aaron before I ever saw him at church. Okay. And I was at, I was in the uh, forward support brigade. So for the entire base, I was the guy who was responsible for what we call reports of survey. What a report of survey is, is really an investigation that you do on something that has happened, like lost property or stuff like that. And I remember, I remember, uh, and, and your grandfather was assigned to what they call ops group. And ops group was, they were the, really the primary group that runs all of the, ro- what they call rotations, where units come through, they train before they would go like over to, Afghanistan and places like that, they come through, and your dad was part of that training group. Mm-hmm. And I remember I had a, a, a reporter survey to be done, and I sent it over, and your grandpa was was the one that was supposed to do it, and, and I, I sent it over, and he's like, uh, I don't have to do those. I'm like, oh, yeah, no, man, I'm too busy. I ain't got time to do that. I said, oh, okay, all right. And uh, all right, so I went and told my colonel, I said, well, the guys in the ops group, man, they'll feel like they don't have to do reports or survey. He said, oh, is that right? I said, yeah. He said, okay. Next thing I know, about three days later, your grandpa was coming over and giving me that reporter survey. And I was, <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, you want this now? You, I thought you told me you didn't have to so do these. He got chewed out yeah. or something. Hello, huh? hello. I thought you didn't have to do these, but I don't know if you remember, but that was my first uh, uh, introduction to him. And then I walk up and see him in church. I'm like, oh, there's that same guy. Yeah. And of course, we, we got to be good friends, you know, with your mom and your grandpa. And of course, they were raising, you know, young folks. We had Karina and Larie, and of course, you know, your dad and, 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 uh, you know, Danielle and all the rest of them were, were much older, but mm-hmm. they, they, they would take Karina and Larie and, you know, uh, kind of like we did with you and, and, and Lily and stuff. And mm-hmm. so as, as little kids and they would babysit them and that kind of stuff. So we all got to be real good friends, mm-hmm. you know, and we've been friends ever, ever since, you know. That's and awesome. so that's how we met. I don't know if your grandpa hit his camp podcast. I don't know if he'll remember that story or not. <laughs> but that was my first introduction before we saw him in church. And so I had to laugh. That's cool. That. So you went into Barstow, and then mm-hmm. at what point did you decide? Uh, what What were your steps to getting out of the military? Did you go straight to Well Fun I, Valley, or what? No, 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 no. We stayed in Barstow for eleven years. Okay, I was in Barstow for two years before I had to get out. I, I knew I was going to get what they call rifted, a reduction in force, mm-hmm. which means I got a notification because I wasn't getting promoted to major, because that was the time where the army had gone from Vietnam size down to volunteer size. Mm. So an army as big as this room turned out to be a, to be a space about a quarter of the size of this room if you, okay. wanted, if you wanted to compare. So all those officer positions that were way out here in the promotions they were given, all those upward mobility promotions shrank to down to this. I get it. And so it was only the folks with the, you know, with the best of the best efficiency ratings and all that stuff that, and so I knew I was going to have to get out. So I ended up staying in Barstow, uh, but when I got out of Barstow, that's when I went into the trucking. I mean, when I got out of the service in the trucking industry, Okay. I had already been looking for jobs and, and there was a huge, uh, yellow freight had a huge terminal there in Barstow. I had already, uh, gone over interviewed and, and, uh, they said, Hey, well, when do you get out? And I told them, they said, well, you got a job starting the next Monday. Man, Barstow used to be bigger than I thought. Yeah. Then, huh? Barstow yeah. used to be really big it, in the eighties and the nineties. Yeah, it, huh? it was, it had a lot of. It wasn't big in size, but there were a lot of jobs there. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of jobs there. And, and so uh, and, and so that's what, uh, but you had Yellow Freight there. Right down the road in Victorville was Roadway. But uh, the railroad was had a lot of people working then. Mm-hmm. You know, Fort Irwin, which, was, yeah. which brought us all there in the military back in those days, Fort Irwin didn't have housing. So all of us who came to Fort Irwin back then, because it was just starting back up, lived 
down either in Barstow or Victorville. Mm -hmm. So it had a lot of military families Mm -hmm. during that time. And we all, either through church or wherever, really got to be really close. Yeah. And uh, we could at any given point in time say, hey, y'all, let's have a a party next weekend. Okay. Everybody had a certain thing that they brought. Mm -hmm. So we could put a party together in two hours. You know, <laughs> and so, so we do what you, you knew what you were going to bring and shoot, man, it was on, you know. I like that. Yeah, so. that's cool. And it's, I mean, it's kind of sad to see Barstow, you know, now going through because it's just oh. really, you know, it's a, it's just a framework of yeah. what you can see, but you can see what it used to be based off of, you know, certain landmarks and things like well, that. But it, it hadn't changed that much. I, I'll tell you, like I told Karina and Larie is as they got older, and they would come back to Barstow, and they asked me one day, they go, Daddy, what happened to Barstow? I said, nothing. They said, what do you mean nothing? Yeah, something happened. I said, what happened is you got older. Mm. When you were young, Barstow seemed like this big, fun place to yeah. be. And as you got older, now you come back with a different lens yeah. because you've been other places, you've seen other things, and you come back and look at Barstow, you go, dang. Oh, I get it, it. It ain't really much here, mm-hmm. you know, but, but the difference was is the life that we made for you guys mm-hmm. because there were a lot of us living in Barstow itself then back in those days. Now, once they got the housing completed at Fort Irwin and stuff like that, a lot of those families that were living there moved out mm-hmm. to the base and that kind of thing. And yeah, so it took a toll. Yeah. It took a toll on it. And so. Tell me, how'd you meet on Jackie? Well, where'd you guys meet at? We met in college. Okay. We met in college. She was, um, she was a junior, you know, I, I ain't telling her age now, but she was a junior and I was a, a, a freshman ah, when I came in. And I so, like that. And so, uh, I, I, I pursued her. I pursued her, you know, she was, to me, she was, she was the prettiest woman on campus and she's still the prettiest woman in my life that yes. I, know, you know, uh, but she played hard to get. You know. Oh, really? Yeah, man. She played hard to get. You know, well, she I was dating somebody else, or no, what? she really wasn't. But but she wasn't gonna let me know that. You know, she was, <laughs> she really wasn't. You know, and I'd I'd go over and, and try to get her to go out with me. You know, no, no, no. And I remember it was one of these rare snows up in Jonesboro where we went to school. Man, snow was was deep to deep to a giraffe behind out there. You know, and <laughs> and I didn't have a car then. You know, and so, so she was sick. And she was like. Well, if you get me some medicine and stuff, you know, I need some medicine for my cold. I said, well, I'll get it. She said, well, you get me some medicine, I'll go out with you then. So that's how we, and I went and got, I trudged through the snow and the cold, man, and went and got (laughs) her some some medicine. And that's how we, uh, that's how we met and started dating, you know. Oh, that's nice. I like that. (laughs) Not not for you, but that's a nice story. (laughs) So, yeah. um, I remember last time I was with my grandpa, he was telling me the story of how he got married this dude was late to late to his own wedding. <laughs> he was the last guy to show up. He had to hitchhike to his own <laughs> wedding. He told me, and it was uh, it was just funny. I couldn't I, imagine something like that. Oh yeah, well, I can remember. <laughs> I, I I think I remember him telling me that too. That mm-hmm. was funny. I'm like, dude, how can you be late? To yeah, you dropped the ball. I, he I, said Shirley's dad was about ready to kill him when he when he walked through I those bet. doors. I bet. He's like, you marrying this guy? I was like, oh, I bet she was. I bet he was. You That's know? good. Yeah. But, and um, I, I just kind of wanted to talk a little bit, too, about just kind of like being a father in that era or just being a father in general. What are some of the core values that you tried to instill within your family that you, you, you think you did a really good job of? Family first. Hmm. Right off the bat. Uh, 
when it comes right down to it, you know, friends and, you know, acquaintances, when the going gets tough, they're subject to leave you unless it's just an absolutely fantastically close friend. Mm-hmm. Family, when it comes down to it, when it, when it gets rough, family is, is what you have, mm-hmm. you know, and I've tried to instill in my girls uh, and in other uh, uh, family members, hey, you know, all of this craziness about you not speaking to one another and that kind of thing. I've never had that happen with my girls. If they have a fallen out, they always make up and talk about it. But you try to instill that in them is that, hey, family looks out for one another. You know, uh, you look after one another. If somebody's in trouble, somebody needs help, somebody just to get up on their feet for a little while, that's what family does. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't depend on other folks to do that, or you shouldn't have to. And so we instill that. I'm one of those dads who has always told my girls that I love you. You'll never hear me be ashamed to tell my brother or my sister or my daughters or my wife that I love you. Mm-hmm. And I do it frequently and I do it often. Uh, and the reason is, is because that's what, because I do love them. Mm-hmm. I want them to know it. And then I try to show that. Uh, a lot of men think it's not manly to tell somebody that you love them. And I said, that's not true in my mind. Because fathers shape, mold and shape, you know, what we do has, a, a, I think, an even greater impact uh, in terms of how we pull the family together. You know, yeah, mom does all of the, you know, mom mom usually is running the kids here and there, whatever, but what dad says, even though it's not, you don't hear that much about it, but dad makes that 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 silent impact. I've I've seen guys, that's why you see guys who when you see guys that that think it's okay to hit on their wives and stuff like that, why? Because they saw their dad do it. Mm. Usually they saw their dad do it with mom. So that's something that they have thought it's okay. Mm-hmm. What I want my girls to know is that it's okay for your dad to tell you I love you and the man that you married you ought to be telling you that I love you. You'll never see me hit your mother. You'll never see your grandfather hit your grandmother. You know. So, but, but, but then what my thing is is that then this is how whoever marries you should act. You know, uh, and... and, and Blessed be whoever they with. They they compare them to their to their to their dad. You that's know? a high that's a high standard right there. <laughs> you know huh? they compare them to their dad, and and so and I and I tell them you know they, they they need to treat you with with respect you know and 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 the love and care for you. And if you run into a guy that's afraid to tell you that I love you, run. Hmm. Okay. Hmm. Uh, because I'm not ashamed to say it. You know I'm not ashamed to say it. I'm not ashamed to show it. And I think that's what people say makes me different in a lot of ways than a lot of other folks is that uh they they folks say I show in a lot of ways that I that I love folks and I do I love people you know I love people and I try to be tr- treat people like I want to be treated yeah you know uh I have a very compassionate heart you know and and uh uh love to be able to sit down with folks like yourself you know and, and if I have something I can impart to you I don't mind telling you yeah. You know, if it's going to help you down the road. That's a super cool thing, too, because it's um, like a lot of a lot of people in my age category still finding themselves. A lot of young men developing. Try, I'm still developing, obviously. Mm-hmm. But one of the coolest things that Hannah just even mainly just a cultural thing, just a mm-hmm. very European thing of like, 
you don't need all that, you know? Like that thing that you you think is the tough guy actually doesn't make me feel safe. It'll make nobody else around here feel safe because we don't know what's going to happen. You're mm-hmm. like a firecracker right yeah. now. Once yeah. I heard that, I go, oh, okay, noted. I get it. Communicate. Yeah. That's yeah. what it is. Let me know. Communicate. How are you feeling right now? This is how I'm feeling. We should get out of here, right? Instead of me just trying to be a bear, trying to be a Tasmanian yeah. devil, flipping out. And it's one of those things of like, it's okay to cry. So yeah. emotions aren't yeah. a bad thing. And that's something yeah. that I've really developed over the past year or so, you know, figuring out what I'm doing is it's it's a one thing to be emotional. That's yeah. good. That's okay. It's another thing to be okay with certain yeah. weaknesses, yeah. right? So yeah. weaknesses are something we need to look at, dissect, try to improve and strengthen, whereas emotions are just natural. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and even like you mentioned weaknesses, some, sometimes our weaknesses are not a bad thing. Yeah. You know, uh, but one of the things like you mentioned where I tell, I've told my daughters and I've told nephews and nieces, know where you are and what's going on at all times. Mm-hmm. You know, my wife laughs right now. She said, when we go to a restaurant, I still sit facing the door and I do, mm-hmm. you know, you probably seen your granddad or some of us do that because back in the day, you know, we went places where a lot of times there was only one way in and one way out. Mm-hmm. And you survey in the room and you need to know or let me find where the back door is so if something jumps off, I can get out of here. Yeah. And 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 that's what I try to teach uh my girls and other young folks. I mean and and but but before it even gets to that point, know when it's time to get up and get out. Mm-hmm. You know, know when it's uh, this like you just said a few minutes ago, no, nah, this ain't exactly the best situation. Come on, let's go. Yeah. You know, and so use wisdom in those situations instead of sitting there and until somebody, something crazy happens and then somebody gets hurt or that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Now, so. this is, these are the part of the questions that I got dialed in for you. These are just for me. These are okay. the, selfishly, I got you right here in the chair. <laughs> this is what I want to know. Going through a really cool transition out of college right now into a, uh, uh, what's looking to be an extremely lucrative career, right? Um mm-hmm. I want to. I don't want to get blindsided by what is it that money can't buy. Yeah, okay, you, you get it figured out, young man. We get it ten years from now. Okay, you did it. Cool. You got a whole lot of numbers in the bank account. You're free from that aspect of worrying about things like that, right? What exactly do I need to be focused on that money can't buy? I, I'll, I'll answer that real quick. Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Mm. Money cannot buy you happiness it cannot buy you joy Hmm. how many rich people have you seen who still look like they're searching that enough is never enough i gotta have more Hmm. i gotta have more i'm still not satisfied i get money will never buy you contentment Hmm. or happiness contentment comes from a peace of mind that comes within you know and 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 just from my perspective from uh what my Bible tells me and what, what, what I've learned about that, that communication and, and that uh, putting my faith and trust in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is where my contentment comes from. Mm-hmm. The, the Apostle Paul would say, I can be content in whatever state I'm in. Why is that? Because no matter what happens with me, I have a relationship with the Lord and the joy comes from the fact that I know that no matter what happens to me in this earthly form, I've got a, a home in God's kingdom. And, and that's why he says it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle 
than it is for a rich man to get into heaven because a rich man is always looking for more. Enough. What is enough? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. What, what is, is enough? enough? I've yeah. got I've got the helicopter. I've got two mansions. I've got uh, a private yacht. I got, but it's still not enough. Mm-hmm. I need more. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 so that's why he said it. He didn't say that money was wrong, mm-hmm. but the love of money. That's where people talk about money is the root of all re- evil. It doesn't say the Bible says the love of money. Oh, I get okay, it's not money itself. Nothing's wrong with money itself because you got to have that to survive. Yeah. But if you love money so much, I got to have more, I got to have more, I got to have more, that you're trying to buy happiness. You can't buy happiness. Mm. That self-contentment and that joy for me and, and for the Christians around the world comes from the fact that I know I have a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that I have a home on the other side when I leave this earth. Whereas folks who don't have that relationship are trying to buy and, and reach happiness right here. So I'm, I'm not at the place where you are in terms of, because I see where you're going is great and I love it because I know you one of, one of these days you're going to be uh, probably one of the wealthiest guys around and I, and I applaud you for that. You know, <laughs> yeah. That ambition and that you have and whatever. But, and, 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 but what I say is don't make that the measure of your life. Yeah. Yeah, and that's something that I'm trying to work yeah, on early. Yeah. That way I don't fall into that right, down right. pit. Understanding that, yeah, you have X amount of dollars, but at the end of the day, I only need this much. Who can we now influence for the positive with this vessel that yeah, I've built? Yeah. The same thing with this podcast. Same thing with everything is it becomes who can we give a voice right, to? Right. Who can we give ideas to? Who owns knowledge, right? It's like... You, know, you can't really own knowledge, right? It's something that you give. You, right, you just transfer right, it kind of right. like that. And, so. and, and that's the whole purpose of us having knowledge is to be able to share it. What good is knowledge for me if I can't help somebody else? Mm, what good is it. that for me? You yeah. know. So if, if I'm sitting here and I got all this knowledge in my head and I see that you're about to walk to the edge of that windowsill and there's a 40-foot drop and I don't tell you because you don't know any better, what good is my knowledge of knowing? And I let you step off to your death or whatever. If I see you going on to a financial cliff and I know better, why wouldn't I share that knowledge with you or, the, or, or, or t- tell you how to avoid the pitfalls of that? So in other words, our parents always taught us, I don't want you to make the same mistakes I made. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I tell my girls, I don't want you to make the same. And, and their mom tells us, we want you to be better. By being better means we're going to help you guard against the mistakes we made. Mm-hmm. so that you can avoid them because you're going to make enough on your own. Yeah. Okay. You see what I'm saying? So, but I can tell you, don't make these because there's enough others out there that you're going <laughs> to gonna make those. And so that you'll be able to tell your kids, you know, uh, how to avoid those things. Mm-hmm. And you would think after all of these years of us being on earth that we would have probably identified most of the pitfalls and stuff and, and just be able to say, if you do this, this, and this, it'll be great. But that's not the case because there's always something coming up, you know. And even if you didn't, even if you were able to, um, you know, answer all those questions, then you're not playing the game. You're not yeah. having fun. What, what's the point of playing basketball <laughs> if you make every shot, right? <laughs> like, this is boring. You got to rebound some, huh? Yeah. Even, even Steph Curry misses, right? You yeah. Gotta, you got to rebound and stop the fast break going the other way, right? Yeah. So. 
That's super uh, cool. That's, that's true. What? When did you buy the house out in Fountain Valley? Then, so you went Barstow. Uh, well, to Orange County. We went, yeah. Well, we went. Uh, no, we went Barstow. We went to back then to Des Moines, Iowa. So we lived in Des Moines, Iowa for five years before we came back to California. We went from Barstow when I got out and worked for Yellow Freight. Mm -hmm. Then Yellow Freight opened up two national customer service centers in Des Moines, Iowa. And I was selected to be, out of hundreds of candidates, I was selected to be one of 10 customer service managers. Okay. For that, and I was the only African-American mm. manager, mm. you know, uh, and so... We uh we had a great time, but that took me to uh, Des Moines, Iowa for five years. We lived in Iowa. It's not a bad place. You didn't get to see many of us yeah. while you <laughs> while you were there, you know. But it was cool. I mean, the people were great. They were nice, you know. Uh, and I have to laugh. I tell the story about I was telling folks about when I was first looking at my house in West Des Moines. You know, West Des Moines, Iowa, man, for sure. You don't. You didn't see many of us out there, right? And I was looking around at the house, and, and my neighbor back there next door, who came to be my neighbor, is like, "What are you doing?" He came out of his house. What are you doing? I'm taking pictures out of, 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 of that. What are you doing? I guess he thought I was casing the place to rob, uh -huh. to rob it or something. I said, "I'm just kind of looking. What are you taking pictures for?" I said, "Don't you worry about it. Yeah. You don't you worry about <laughs> it. You know." Uh, and then, of course, a few days later, you know, we pull it up with moving vans, and I'm moving in. You know, mm -hmm. and and and. I can't fault the guy because, you know, this is where you live. You know, he's, he's, he's just been, he's, he's looking out for, he knew the house was empty, you know, trying to just looking out to see, and I had to laugh. And we turned out to be the best of neighbors once, once I moved in and that kind of thing. He was a really great guy, you know. And, uh, but, but you, you don't, you didn't see many of us yeah. in West Des Moines, Iowa. Mm -hmm. You didn't see many of us in Des Moines, period, but it was really rare in West Des Moines. And so... But I had to laugh, and he and I joked about that. Do you remember, man, when we first moved? He said, yeah, man, I'm sorry. He said, I was just trying to be sure. I said, hey, I understand. I get it. Mm -hmm. I get it. I probably would have done the same thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but we were there for five years. And and, and then from – that's when I got news that, uh, you know, uh, I knew when I was going to uh, be leaving, you know, that I, I decided to leave Yellow Freight and, and – uh, try something uh something different and that's when we came back out to uh california yeah you know so you guys so, made it down to orange county after iowa then yeah yeah after Iowa, we made it to uh came to orange county what were you doing you bought the the house you bought your house out there um yeah in, in orange county uh-huh yeah yeah well actually what happened was uh my old boss when i was at yellow freight one of my old bosses mm -hmm. got to be um he he was the head of a trucking company out here he came back and recruited me and wanted me to come and run one of his call centers. Oh, okay. Out here. And that's what brought me back. Oh. Okay. But I wanted to talk about, in your opinion, sort of what are some of the qualities that Aunt Jackie has that makes her such a wonderful mom? Number one is she is a nurturer. You know, uh, she has this tremendous amount of compassion. And nurturing, uh, and I, I think a lot of it, a lot of it is, is, is uh, hereditary. I think, but then a lot of it is from the comes from the fact that I think that of her siblings, she is the oldest of her mom's siblings. Now she has a couple of uh, sisters and a brother that were half sister and brothers, but of her mom's siblings, she is the the oldest, and so 
she was the one that that raised the rest of them. You know, her 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 brother Willis and 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 uh, Gwen, Deborah Cleave, all of them. And so she has this mother instinct from the time she was young. You know, in doing that, but by nature, you know, with her being a nurturer or whatever, she always has this compassion. She's always uh, there for her, her, for her girls and me and anybody else for that matter. The, the other thing though, is that she is so organized. And, uh, uh, one of my biggest things is I put stuff off. I'm a procrastinator. A lot of times <laughs> I get it done when I need to mm-hmm. two days ahead of time. She'd be like, you got that done yet? And I'm like, no, well, don't you think it's time you get it done? You know, mm-hmm. uh, but she is so organized and she is, she's a, she's a, a go-getter, you know, uh, Jack is like, if she gets something set in her mind and she's like, I need to get it done. And she, she, she's not going to have to do it. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's all the way it's, it's full for, that's, that's the only thing she knows is, is a hundred, 110 percent. There's no 75, no 50 or whatever it is. If I'm going for it, I'm going all the way for it. Uh-huh. Ain't no switch to dial it down, you know, and, <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and so, but it, and I'm just the opposite. I'm like, come on, you can cool down a little bit, baby. It'll be all right. Uh-huh. You know, no, we need to get it done now. You know, so <laughs> I'm like, okay. So I guess that's what, what, what they mean by opposites attract, I guess, you uh-huh. know, is because we are totally on the opposite end of the spectrum. She's like, I got to get it done now. And I'd be like, oh, hey, I got time. I'm cool. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> So that's awesome. So compassion. Yeah. She, that, that, that compassion and the love. And she, she, she just has that for, for the girls or for anybody. I've, I've watched her with, with women at church, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, uh, she will, you know, as far as praying with folks, as far as sitting down with folks, talking with folks, listening to them, you know, that's just a part of her, of her makeup, you know? And so, and I think that, that just a tremendously, uh, makes her makes her a good mother, and then she's she's a she's a great homemaker in terms of like cooking and stuff like that. You know, all of those all of those things. And, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, I wanted to talk about kind of coming into our last few questions mm-hmm. here. What would you say? Can you give me your greatest, or or not greatest, but your largest failure? that ultimately led you on the path to your greatest achievements? That's a big question right there. Well. Is there anything you can yeah, think of? I, 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 you know, I think about that all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing that I did, um, everything I had planned never worked out. Uh, as I was in, in the military, you know, and, 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 uh, uh, looking at doing some things, got into some uh, positions there in the military. And I was a company commander uh, at the same time, battalion adjutant, which is human resources. But uh, my, my, the, the company commander position was not considered command time. Right after I was getting ready to leave, a new battalion commander had come in while I was still there. But right when they changed that, company commander position to make sure that the next guy that came in after me got the command time for mm. command time was critical for you being promoted mm-hmm. you know so even though i was in the position you didn't get the it time didn't, i didn't get the time showing on my on my record uh-huh. you know and stuff like that so i'm like what is happening 
you know, everything that I thought I was going to do, you know, it just, it just hasn't panned out. And I finally realized that had any of those things happened other than how they happened, I would not be where I am today mm. at this point in time, pastoring a church mm-hmm. that the Lord intended for me to pastor. Mm-hmm. So as, and as I sit and look back, I was disappointed, but then I sit back and say, okay, God, I see it now. All of those things had to happen because I probably would not have come to California had it not known it was my last assignment. Yeah. You know, I knew when I was in the recruiting command at, at Omaha, Nebraska, that I was going to come to, I said, how close can you get me to Little Rock, Arkansas? You know, and they said, as, as close as I can get you. No, I was in Germany when I found out I w- this would be my last assignment. I said, how close can you get me to uh, Little Rock, Arkansas? And they said, well, the best we can do for you is Omaha, Nebraska. And so I was, uh, it was while I was in uh, Omaha mm-hmm. that, um, uh, that I said, they said, well, you got, you got one more assignment. I said, well, send me to California. You know, that, that would be my last assignment out here. Mm-hmm. That's, of course, when I said, make, they said, well, you got one more assignment. This was it. And uh, California was, I said, get me to California. And they said, uh, okay, out at Fort Irwin. So I knew I was going to get out there. And that's when I met your grandparents and all that. That's mm-hmm. what brought us to California because they gave me a choice. They said, we can send you to Arkansas. You can go wherever you want to go, you know, because this is going to be your last move. And yeah. I said, well, get me to California. That'll be where I'll get out then. And that's what brought me to Fort Irwin where I met your grandparents and all that. We got out. Mm-hmm. That's when I went to work for Yellow Freight when yeah. I got out. And so, but that's what uh, brought me here. But I don't know that I considered it a failure. Yeah. I just considered it. It didn't go like I wanted it to because wherever the Lord put me, I did well at it. Yeah. You know, like when I went to uh, the trucking industry, mm. uh, in, in the trucking industry, like I, I took over a, um, a uh, customer service department, a call center yeah. is, is what it was. I was running a call center in the trucking industry when I first came out to, uh, I was, I was in Omaha and then, and, I mean, Des Moines, Iowa, and then came out here. And when I came out here, uh, it was like, okay, Larry. Uh, I'm gonna put. I need you to run my call center, but then when I went in there, the old call center manager, when she left, took half of the call center members with her. Uh, so you were so stuck. It, huh? So it was like a forty-person call center, and I was down to about twenty for about three months mm. as I started tired. But what that did was, I always rose to the challenge. I'm like, all right, that ain't, I'm not gonna let that beat me. What that did, I looked at it like this is an opportunity for me to build this center like I want to build it. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? And yeah. so rather than being dejected and downhearted, I said, I developed a training for the new people coming in. And before they ever got on the telephone, I had them in a classroom for six weeks. They never took a phone call. Mm. I put them in a class week for, classroom for six weeks straight, training them from techniques to how you talk to folks in certain situations how you trace and free, how you do all of this. I did all of that for about six weeks. And then in the fifth week, I put them on the phone and let them sit with other folks and hear how the calls were going or whatever. So ultimately I was able to build that department like I wanted it to be built. So I took a bad situation, what could have been. And my, the way I was always trained by, by my parents is you take a bad situation and you turn it around. 
Mm-hmm. And that's what I was, uh, that's what I always prided myself in doing. And my wife mentioned this not long ago is that she's like every job you have been in, they've put you in something where somebody has failed or it's a bad and they put it in and you turn it around. And I said, well, I guess that's kind of the reputation I have, mm. uh, you know, uh, but so, so that's why life didn't go like I planned for it. Yeah. But as I look back on it, it brought me to where I am now. I like that. (laughs) I like that a lot. That's a really good answer. I think I wanted to end on also, I wanted to talk about sort of lighter stuff. Like, um, Mm -hmm. just want to talk about, obviously you got gospel music. Gospel music gets brought down to R&B. R&B gets brought down to hip hop. You know, (laughs) hip hop gets down to, you know, hits a vein that goes global. And now here I am as a young, you know, person of color in Sweden, and all of a sudden, all the songs that I know that my dad grew up with in the 90s, I'm hearing in Stockholm, Sweden. Yeah, yeah. And I go, how does this happen? This is amazing. I love it. Now, it you know, it, all the stuff I like, it's like, you know, having chicken over in Sweden. Like, yeah. I like, hey, y'all got fried chicken over here? Hell yeah, give me some of that. I love that. Y'all yeah. doing it right? So who are some of your favorite artists? Who are some of the, you know, the influences that you like when you were listening to growing up? Who are some of your favorite? I was... I was uh when you talking when you're talking the um soul the era. soul era, you know, I liked a lot of the, the groups, you know, the back the bands back then. When you talk uh, uh when you you talk Earth, Wind and Fire, and oh, you talk like about the OJs. The OJs, the, the Commodores, you know, Sly and the Family Stone. When you talk about like the, the temptations, the temptations huh? all of that, man, it was it was See, back then they were using real, they were using horns. They were using all of that back then. Now they use synthesizers. It's not the same. I agree. You know, and and if you listen to music even now, a lot of the kids, when they write doing rap songs and stuff now, they're doing it to music that I, of my era. Yeah, it's all sampled. Yeah, it's, it's all sampled music of my era. It's not, and uh, so so groups like that, EWF, Cool in the Gang, you know, uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire, the Commodores, all, all of those, OJs, all of those guys, man. Those were artists that that it didn't matter what party you went to, you know, we, you 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 were going to hear those uh, those groups, I, you know, and and uh, I I loved it. I don't know that I had any one particular. Probably my favorite group was EWF, okay, was Earth, Earth Wind and Fire. That was probably my favorite group. Yeah, you know, but then you also had like the the uh, 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 oh gosh, what do I want to say? The you had the Brothers Johnson, and then you had uh, you had other groups. What's the other group I want to say? That's all brothers. Um, talking about the Isley brothers, Isley brothers, yeah, you know, and all, like all them boys was bad, man. Uh-huh. They were bad. You had you had all all of those guys that were coming along then, you know, uh, uh, Gladys Knight, you know, the the when like you look Aretha at Franklin. Aretha Franklin, and you know, I you know, I just uh, uh, of of the groups, and, and then you talk about, and and when you talk about uh, uh, smooth velvety guys, you know, I, I got to put Luther Vandross <laughs> in there. He and he and uh, uh, my man that my man that for a long time sang Teddy uh, Teddy you Teddy knew I was talking about Teddy Pendergrass yep. you know see I that's put those guys that, that's where I'm at city. now now luckily so. they don't gave me all the information <laughs> I, I you see I do my homework yeah, I study yeah, I study yeah, I do my yeah, homework yeah Teddy was uh, you know those guys man it was talking about turn off the lights oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> light a candle <laughs> I like that yeah Teddy's a bad yeah, dude yeah the yeah. cool part about music is it's a it's a time machine. Art yeah. does that. I'm able to, 
you know, I, I didn't live in that era like mm -hmm. you did, but I'm able to hear the, the influence and go, right. oh, this is what they're talking about. Right. This is what they were feeling like. This is, you know, some of the, some of the happy times, some of the bad yeah. times that yeah. created the art that the world consumes now. And it's yeah. super yeah. cool. What were you listening on? Like what? Because the thing well, about that, I just open up Spotify, throw it on the TV, and start yeah. listening. Well, I like hearing about the old school well, tech. Back, back during that that time, I mean, you know, a lot of the shows you you would find even shows like American Bandstand, like Dick Clark would have a lot of those groups on. Mm. Uh, uh, but then you had uh, uh, a man that does. He would say, uh, "Love, peace, and soul, or whatever." Uh, Don Cornelius. Soul Train. Don Cornelius on Soul Train. Oh, you know, okay. That was that was. Basically during our time, you know, uh -huh. uh, in my later years, but Soul Train stayed on what twenty five, thirty years, man, and and uh, we didn't miss Soul Train. Yeah, you, 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 all the dancers and the, you know, I mean, the, not only the dance, but the but the artists would come on Soul Train, you know, and and then they show the kids dancing and all that stuff, man. That was that was all during our time. You guys have probably seen some of Soul Train now. Oh, yeah, the highlights. Yeah, the yeah. highlights. But it was a weekly show. You know, it was a weekly show that used to come on, man. And you, hey, you were in front of that television. That's awesome. We used, we had uh, back in back in the early days, we listened to all this stuff on on forty five, uh, what we call forty five RP, RPM records. Okay. Forty fives were about the half, about a, about a third of the size of an album. Okay. The forty five was about like that. You know, and a forty five an album had uh, six songs to a side. A forty five had one song to each side. Oh, okay. Okay, and and there was this. Uh, attachment that you could put on the spindle if you've ever seen a photograph phonograph mm. you got this silver spindle that that sticks up where there's an attachment that you could put on there that was about as round as a half dollar mm. and and that attachment you put on that silver spindle was spindle was so you could put 45 records on there okay and it controlled the 45 records when you put the the attachment on the 45 records had a uh, that attachment had two little arms that stuck out you would stack the records on and that silver spindle would pull in that arm and let one record fall at a time. Oh, cool! So you could—that's what you. So you could put six or seven of those on, and you didn't have to worry about running to the stereo every minute to put a new one on. You know, and so uh, we grew up in that in that era, man. And you, uh, for, for Christmas, man, if you got your own little phonograph set, man, all oh, you would, you would live at large. You know. Yeah. So you could play records in your room and stuff. And it's amazing through the the type of art that was created with yeah. the level of technology yeah. that they had. And then you have, you know, they gave me everything. Now my generation has everything, right? And it's like the art still doesn't compare. Right. <laughs> we'll, right. we'll try, but it, it's right. it's perfect. You, you you guys had the MP3, yeah. three, MP3. Now we watched. We, oh man, you. If, if in our era in the seventies and stuff, you didn't have an eight track in your car, dude. You wasn't you wasn't you wasn't where it was. So you know? I've only heard of an eight track. We can finish on what what I'm confused. Is it? I, I hear it's, eight it's, tracks. It's a it's a it's, it's a, a it's a tape. It's a cassette. But it was a big cassette like this. So you take an album, and you went from you went from you went from the eight track to a cassette like you guys have seen now. You've seen the cassette player. Uh huh. But an eight track was also a cassette, but the tape was wider, and the cassette was about the size of. So which one of these? Uh, which one of these is an eight track? Yeah. Uh, this is an eight track. If you can. Oh, I'm sorry. If you can see this. Okay. These two are eight tracks right here. And and that was and, connected and, to your stereo in the car. Well, it was a separate. It was a separate. Most cars had it as a uh, attachment in there. Yeah. Okay. It was connected to the stereo. It came out of the stereo speakers and stuff. Uh, but the eight track player, and then the cars came out with 
the cassette players, which you've seen in your day and age. Uh-huh. Okay, for so then they went from the eight track to a cassette. So an eight track was an just a big was, cassette, basically. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Eight track was a big cassette. Okay, and I got it was you. built. And I'm trying to think. I think it was built into the dashboard too. You could get an aftermarket one that you could mount yourself. Oh, okay. but cars were coming out with the eight track built into the dash, and you put the eight track in, man, and you 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 was living large, ah, dude. And like so that. yeah, yeah. And so where's the uh, and then it went from eight track to cassette, you know. And and then the cassette lasted for years and years, and then from the cassette, then to now the, the to the CD, the CD right? to the CD, and then from the CD to MP3. Uh-huh. You know, so that's kind of the the generations of it. You know, the eight track to cassette to CD to now MP3 player. Yeah, you know, so uh, but that's what you listen to in the car. You know, you had that with you, man. You had your little tape box, you know, and you you carry so you could, you know, now you have CDs, and of course you could put them in your console. You uh-huh. know, but you used to have your tape box on the floor. You know, you get a tape, pop it <laughs> and, in. And you had to, you were doing this all while you all were while driving. All while you driving. All while oh you driving. Oh my gosh! Dude, no. You know? <laughs> <laughs> one tape is over. You get another one. I was like, yeah, yeah. Put that in. You know, you got to crash that car. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, well, yeah. hey, I appreciate you coming on to the podcast. Yes, sir. This was a really fun episode for me. I hope you had a good time. I, I did. I did enjoy talking with you. I really enjoy hearing about your life how, you know, some of the keys that you're able to leave us with and a lot of the wisdom, and I appreciate you. It really does help not only myself, but people of my generation and just people who are kind of looking to figure out what they're doing. Yeah. You know, that's that's basically what this show is about. This show is about well, what are we going to do? What are we good at? You know, how do we set certain goals? How do we obtain the standard that we're doing and understanding that it all doesn't have to be built in one day? Right. That's the right. thing is I'm 23. I'm looking at you and I go, I got a long time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I got a long time. Yeah. It, it. There's no reason. I get, you know, stuff in the digital world now, they make it seem like if you don't have it by the time you're, you know, 25 or 30 or something, it's all <clears throat> around. That's not how I'm seeing it. Yeah. I'm seeing it as yeah. like, no, I got decades. I could, I could do nothing this whole decade and I'd still be 30, you know? There, there's not like, but luckily I'll take this time, try right, to build something right. special, try to provide value to as many people and that I, I'm inspired by it. I'm yeah, motivated yeah. by it to just take, sort of take that baton, sort of kind of move that needle a little bit further and just, you know, try to find my purpose. Yeah, yeah. And you hit on something right there. That major life change for me when I got out of the military, I was in my... I was 36 years old. Uh-huh. You know, starting over. Yeah. You know, and 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 then started over there for a little while and then moved to something else and started over again, you know. And so it's all about your mindset. Do you let it destroy you or do you let it do you build on it and you said not me and you and you keep going, you know. That's the whole key. That's Natural Thoughts and Talks, guys. We'll see you again next week. Bye.